coach, congratulations are in order. You have 400 wins as South Carolina's head coach. You went back to the Sweet 16. So I know you are very busy at the moment. So let's get uh, right into it. Um, I talk about this quote a lot on the show. It's a quote from Nick Saban. And he says, once you get to the top of the mountain, you become the mountain. Do you feel like South Carolina is now that mountain? I don't. I don't. And I don't know if it's because um, um, I've been I've been at the foot of the mountain a lot, um, trying to get to the top of the mountain. And now, you know, that we've had sustained success, you're you're I'm always in the mode of trying to get better, trying to trying to do the unthinkable, trying to to be that mountain. And um, we find ourselves here and it, it just feels like you, you're still working, like you're still working, trying to build on top of what we've already built. Mm-hmm. How close do you feel? Um, I mean, there there are good days and there are bad days as far as how close. I think I'm too close to our team, really. I am. I see it every day. I know what our deficiencies are. I know the areas where we need to improve. So it's like, yeah, but I know where we're, we're actually excellent. I know where we're excellent and I can, I can see that. And, um, but the, the balancing act of, of knowing where you're excellent and knowing where your deficiencies are keeps me in a good place where I don't allow myself to get too big headed because, because of those deficiencies. So, um, we're, we're, I always said it you know, throughout this entire season. We're just still a work in progress. We're actually getting better than every single day. And I, I feel that. Mm-hmm. So for you, what's heavier? The pressure of winning that first championship or the pressure to keep winning championships? Um, Probably the pressure to win the first one. Um, because it's, it's it for me, it was a lifelong dream. It was something that growing up in the projects in North Philly is one of two events that I saw women play. That was a national championship. And then I saw women play in the Olympics. And those were my two goals that I wanted to accomplish um, when I was just growing up in the sport and I was able to get the gold medal. And then I didn't think I would ever be in a position to win a, a national championship because I didn't want to coach. So I was happy with the gold medal and then coaching found me. And then that that desire to want to win a national championship just it got it grew bigger and bigger, you know, inside of me to where, you know, I I I wanted it more than anything. And then I obviously changed coaching um, programs from Temple to South Carolina because I thought South Carolina would put us in a better position to win a national championship. And then, you know, it took took 17 years as a coach to actually um, hoist that trophy. I love that. Um, I am keeping this question intentionally very broad. What do you want for Aaliyah Boston? Oh, that's, that's a gr- that's a great question. Um, I, I want I want Aaliyah Boston's heart desires. Like I, I want whatever her heart desires because of what she's been, not to just our program because. You know, that is written. That's written already. Um, what's not written is what she means to this game. I, I I know that, you know, once she leaves college women's basketball, 
I know for certain that we will never get a person that embodies what a student athlete, what a giver, what um, someone's so strong in faith. She realizes that where all these things that are happening for her, that she's truly favored by God. So not only what, what Aaliyah wants and what her heart desires, but what God wants for her. And I want her, I want him to put her at ease because she, 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 a high standard. She set a high standard for herself. So, and she puts the work into it. She's not one of those, you know, people or, or athletes that say, I want to be a national player of the year, defensive national player of the year without the work. And that is really, really different from most young people nowadays. Like they want it instant gratification. No, Aaliyah wants to work for it. She wants to see the fruit of her labor and she wants to see it in, in, in the form of probably, you know, more hardware, more national championships, more national player of the years, more national defensive player of the year, more Lisa Leslie um, awards. So she wants to see that. And I, I do want to see that for her. And I want her to have an incredible WNBA career. Mm. I love that. And I think that Aaliyah Boston is so special, both on and off the court. And you have continued to make comments about her that are very important. One that I want to repeat um, and ask if you could explain what you meant by this. You said, what's good for the game is to call it like you see it. Don't create narratives. Don't create things that are advantageous to players that will get the most clicks. What did you mean by that statement? Um, what I meant by that is our, our game, women's basketball, we have a tendency to create a narrative and we stick with that narrative no matter no matter who it is i mean it, it it was it was given to a lot of different players throughout throughout their careers um but there's so much more like there's there's so much more to our game you know there is Caitlin Clark there is Aaliyah Boston there is Cameron Brink you know there is i mean Ole Miss just beat a number 1 seed last night there are so many stories that are buried because we we go with this narrative and we we not only we don't only keep it contained in in our game we go to the the men's game like I hear I hear um commentators talk about Caitlin Clark on different like I watch men's basketball they they're talking about her name do they know her maybe maybe not is somebody telling them to to speak on it, maybe, maybe not. But I, but I know, I know from, I know from speaking to a lot of people that when these narratives are created, come hell or high water, they're sticking with them. I mean, we were a victim of in 2020 being the number one team in the country uh, for the last nine weeks before COVID hit, and you wouldn't know. You would not know that we were the number one team because. They they kept with the narrative with um, Sabrina Nescu, which is fine. Great, great player. There'll never be another Sabrina. But be, because because of Sabrina, and I don't mean to like dog pound or her name, you'll never know about the 2020. Our, our, the number one team in the country when COVID hit. You'll, you'll never know about it unless we're bringing it up. And that's a shame because there was room for Sabrina. There was room for... Uh, Ty Harris and Kiki Herbert Harrigan, the leaders of our team that got uh, a 2019 number one recruiting class 
in a position of, I think we would have won a national championship. We were playing so much, you know, elevated, you know, and we just got better and better and better. And, and maybe that story would have been told if we had a, uh, sorry, a an NCAA tournament. But when I talked to the decision makers, I asked them, and they said we were going to tell that story in the tournament. Well, the bottom fell out. So you don't get a chance to tell the story. Now, I will say because of that, those conversations, we did get a, 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 an hour piece called for the culture that was exquisitely done. Like it was awesome, but selfish, you know, selfishly it was great, but there were other stories that did not get told, um, that that's a lost season for everyone. And I just think that, um, there's enough room for everybody. You know, there's, there's only probably one room for a national player of the year. And, you know, it is through the, the, the eyes of the beholder. You know, that's that. I mean, Caitlin Clark, does she deserve it? Absolutely. Does Aaliyah Boston deserve it? Absolutely. Does Cameron Brink deserve it? Absolutely. Like, there are so many people who are deserving of it. So let's tell all the story. Let's not just be one-sided. Well, I think what you're saying is true, but I think it begs the question of why do you feel like certain players or people are left out of narratives and why are certain players and people brought into narratives? I mean, it's, it's obviously there are, there are, you know, people who feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into the, the, the race thing because I'm not race baiting or any, anything like that. When you, when Aaliyah looks different, she looks different. She's, she, I mean, she's a, she's a big young woman. Like she's a center. And usually centers aren't the players that are highlighted in that way. But I mean, she's bubbly. If you pour it into like Clay, Caitlin Clark, we all know is the, is, is the one that, that people feel like is the national player of the year. And this narratives that have been created for her. And she deserves it. Honestly, she deserves it. I don't want people thinking I'm, you know, just trying to elevate my player. I'm not. I know what great right. players look like. I, I do. Yeah. She is that. Like, Sabrina Inescu was that. Okay? Asia Wilson Definitely. was that. Brianna yeah. Stewart was that. Diana Taurasi was that. Like, there, there are so many. But we don't know who those other players are. We don't, we don't know because we are... We are pushing one, like we're pushing one. And then we're, we're pushing Caitlin, but I, I do think we do as, as South Carolina, we do get some pub as a, as an entire yeah. team. So I don't want to, I don't want, I, I like having these conversations because um, they need to be had and they, they, they really need to be had because it's not hate. Like it's like people think I hate on Caitlin. I don't like Caitlin is going to probably win the Dawn Stanley Award for the third year in a row. Not, mm-hmm. not because I'm favoring her. It's because she can flat out play. Quite yeah. simple. Like, quite simple. Yeah, I, I had a conversation uh, with Sue Bird about this topic once, and she put it really eloquently, just saying, you know, they trick women's athletes into thinking that everybody is fighting for the pond. Like, there's a pond, there's a pool. She's like, but really, there's a whole ocean 
But when they make you think you only have this like tiny body of water, you're thinking that you're having to like put one player above the other when really there should be room for all people to be highlighted and to have these narratives and to have these stories. So I think what you're saying is is really important. There has to be ways that we're able to incorporate everyone's stories in ways that feel real and authentic to them. So I appreciate you um, giving your your perspective on that. And, I, um, and, and one me, thing let about, me just add oh, this. Yeah. Let me just mm-hmm. let me just add this. And Sue is you know completely right about that. Um I I I do feel like I do feel like the narratives are are created as such that we go to the other end of the spectrum. Like we start hating on um, that that one that that chosen one, and we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. I, I know our, our our fan bases love to go tit for tat, but it's not. There is room. Like we need to respect. We need to respect the whole spectrum of of all the the people that make our game great. Like there are so many people that make our game great. We we have so much dissension in our game that we can't we can't elevate. We can't elevate. We need to we need to join our voices together to make sure that we, we're all getting our just due in this space. Because the more that we all get our just due, the more the, the more the decision makers are going to have to publicize what needs to be publicized, and that's that's our rich game. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Um, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, when you think of your entire basketball career, I mean, as a player, as a coach, everything, what is the one loss that you remember the most? And what's the one win that you remember the most? The one loss. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this is the most recent one because people have been asking um asking our 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 senior class this question like we only lost one game in their entire four-year career at home at home wow. yeah. and it was uh it was against NC State and it was on national television and I had never like we played uncharacteristically bad like I did not know that team like I didn't know it like it was it was all <laughs> it got brand new you know how people say, don't get brand new on me. They got brand new. And I was, and it's, it's, it stuck with me. And now that people are asking, that that feeling still gets, even though they won the rest of the games. Like, I think we were 60 and one. I don't, I think 60 and one in our building. So that's the one loss that is the most current one. Um, and then the the win, Um, I I would say, I would say probably beating UConn for the first time here in our building in 2020. Mm. Because so many, so many other monumental wins came after that. So it kind of opened the door for us being able to, you know, just shake that off of them. I always say, I always describe it as this, UConn beating our heads in year after year after year after year. So, so that win here allowed us allowed us to win here and also to win last year in a national championship game. Yeah. You know, the South Carolina UConn matchups are always super fascinating. How would you describe the relationship between both those schools and the relationship between you and Gino? Um, well, I mean, 
I, I wouldn't even say we're rivals because you got to win. You got you got the the percentage of them beating us is very high to our you know low. Um, I I just think it's a it's a it's become a great um, anticipation game for for all of basketball, not just college, not just uh, women's basketball, but all of college basketball. Because when when it's put on television, the the viewership is is way way up. And then as far as my relationship with with Gino, you know, I re- I respect Gino, I do, I respect Gino. I I coached under him in the 2016 Olympic Games. I've watched I watched him. I watched him a lot. He probably didn't know I was watching him, but I was watching and learning just to see how he operates. Um, um, and then I I just I just respect them. I, there's a there's a, a I think a mutual respect for each other. Um, we we don't like losing, and we don't like losing to each other. Yeah. All right. I love that. Okay. Well, final question for you. I know we have to wrap up, but my last question is a what if, what if you weren't a basketball coach, what would you be doing? Wow. You're going to take me there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really highly competitive and I probably think I could have my way in the casino. So I'll probably be a professional gambler. <laughs> wow. I love that answer. What blackjack? Blackjack, roulette, you name it. I don't know craps, though. I know somebody okay. has to teach me. Now, I know the hood craps. I just don't <laughs> I was gonna say, I know that one. I don't know. <laughs> I, know, I don't know the so crap table. <laughs> I love that answer. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know you are pressed for time. I deeply appreciate you doing this. I don't know if you remember this, but I interviewed you about a year ago. And one thing that you were talking about is that you said you had a debt to repay to basketball and you just wanted basketball to be proud of you. Um, I hope that you feel that. You are so close to repaying that debt and I hope that you know that the basketball community does root for you. So I deeply appreciate you doing this and good luck in the rest of the tournament. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 